do you ever think about uh, the difference between the church in the book of Acts and the church, quote, religion as we know it in America? It was said of the early disciples that the God was moving with such great power through them that those men who have changed the world upside down have come here also. I was just meditating and thinking on how powerless organized religion is in America. It, it does not affect the culture. We let the culture affect us. Religion today is so powerless that it does not change the world, but invites the world into its, 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 uh, its uh, existence and becomes more and more like the world. And so, that, why is that? Why, why is that? You know, there's a beautiful description of the church, which is made up of each of us today. If you're saved, you are the church. If you're saved, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. But I guess one of the most beautiful examples of the church is this. Listen. Now, therefore, that this is written to believers, and it's going to give you a powerful description of the church. It's not on the screen because I didn't give them the scriptures early enough, but it's Ephesians 2, verse 19 and following. Now, therefore, you are no longer a stranger, if you're saved. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer a foreigner. But fellow citizen with the saints... And members, now wait a minute, fellow citizens of the saints, and members of the household of God. What a description. You're a member of the household of God. And it goes on in the next verse and says, and you're built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, now, pause there a minute. Christ has come into your life. I trust and pray. So you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. You have been built together with other believers upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And look at the rest of that verse. In whom, now wait a minute. In whom you are also built together. That's us. You're built together for a dwelling place of God. Wow. We're built together to be a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So heavenly days. Why, why, why do I want to come on Sunday morning at 9.30? Somebody said, well, if you moved it to 10.30, I'd come. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> why is it I want to come at 9.30 in the morning on Sunday? Why is it I want to get together with you? Because the Bible says if we're saved, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners. We're, we're, we're uh, uh, 
built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And we're built together for a dwelling place of God. You know why I like to come here on Sunday morning? Because this is where God dwells. He's not dwelling down at the Outrigger Club. He's not dwelling in there. He loves the people that are in there and wants them to be saved. He, he, but I'm telling you where he's dwelling. He's dwelling with his people. And buddy, it is the fact that we are the dwelling place of God that makes this a holy place and a wonderful place. And But you know, why is it that we're not having more of an impact in this world than we're having? I, I, I mean, really, it seems to be getting darker when it should be getting lighter. The closer we get to Jesus coming, the more the light ought to shine. So really, why? Why is it that we're not as powerful as the church of Jesus Christ, us individually and others, as we should be? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Jesus made it very clear that to be his followers and to be his disciples, we had to count the cost. We have to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We have to count the cost of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, salvation is a gift from God. It is a gift of God's grace. And it is purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, you know what you do with a gift? You you, you, you receive it. You just receive the gift. But it's already been purchased and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens is salvation is come, comes when we repent of our sins. God, I confess that I am a sinner. I no longer want to live a life of sin. I choose under the conviction of the Spirit to leave my sin behind and to live a life of righteousness and godliness. So salvation is a free gift received by faith in Jesus Christ in his, uh, and his finished work on the cross through repentance of sin. And we're not saved by our works. You've got to understand that. We're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10 says, For by grace, God doing for us what we don't deserve, can never do for ourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith in the finished work of Christ. It is not of yourselves. It is, a, it is the gift, this salvation, this gift, this faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. What part of that don't we understand? Lest anyone should, be, uh, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You don't work to be saved. You work because you are saved and you were created for good works which God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. Now, while salvation is a free gift and we are created unto good works, salvation is free. But following Jesus costs you everything. It costs you everything. The cost of discipleship the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Once we receive salvation, the cost of following Jesus is exceedingly great. And Jesus absolutely and unmistakably 
made it clear. Now, and the reason I'm telling you, when people come to Jesus, it says, if you shall confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, for with the mouth is made unto confession, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. But you've got to understand now, when, when you become a follower of Jesus, it costs you everything. It costs you everything. It is a life of absolute, unconditional, unreserved surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many people in, in, in the churches in Alabama and Mobile today understand as they sit there, you know, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. He purchased me with his own blood. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. And for me to follow Jesus, salvation is free. But to follow Jesus cost me everything. It cost me everything. And so when we don't understand the cost of being a disciple after we're saved, then, then we, we don't understand what it means. And that's what, where the power comes from one. From It's when you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I want to talk to you this morning, and I want to preach to you this morning about counting the cost. And I want to ask you, ask you this question. Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? You say, well, Brother Fred, I haven't. Well, then you better count it right now. That's where power is. That's where life is. That's where the abundant life is. It is only in a person who has counted the cost of what it means to be a disciple, counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and is bowed in obedience to that cost. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus about counting the cost. Now, the first part of it is very disturbing, but let's look what it says. In Luke 14, verses 25 through 23, listen to what it says. Great multitudes went with them. Boy, he had a big crowd. A big crowd. You know, that's the emphasis today in organized religion. The bigger the crowd, the better it is. Can I make a statement? That is totally untrue. It is not how many you count. It's what kind you count. Don't be deceived. Bigness does not mean God's presence. Bigness does not mean God's power. I'm for everybody hearing the gospel. But oh, today we got our standards totally wrong. We try to judge the church by the standard of the world. But he says here, now with great multitudes went with him, and he turned to them and said, what did he say? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot, not maybe, he cannot be my disciple. Now you're going to find in a verse that I read later, Jesus tells us how much we're to love our father and mother and brother and sister. But this, this is, Jesus used these words to, uh, uh, for comparison reasons. Of course he wants you to love your father and your mother and your brother and your sister. And he is even your own life if it's in Christ. But I'm telling you, he said, your love for me your love for me ought to be so great that compared to any other love, it would be like hate. See, he was using comparison to get across his point. And he wasn't telling us to hate, our, hate these people, but he said, you, you should love me so much that compared to your love for me, 
it would be seem to be hatred. He said, and he goes on and says in the next verse, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on in the next verse and says, for which of you, now listen to this, I love the way Jesus made it where we could plainly understand. He said, now, which of you intending to build a a tower, let's say a house, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether you have enough to finish it. Now, you'd be foolish to start building a house out there knowing that it's going to cost $200,000 and you ain't got but fifty. That would be not wise because you're not going to get beyond the kitchen. I'm telling you right now. He said, who of you would set out to build a tower or a house without first counting the cost? Lest after he laid the foundation, he's not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock him. I remember when I used to go over to Orange Beach and you'd go beyond Orange Beach and you'd almost get to, you'd go uh, right before you got to the bridge going on over into uh, Florida. You'd already passed the Floribama. And I hope y'all don't know where that is. But you'd already <laughs> crossed over the bridge. You understand? To the side, there were these big tall pillars. Big tall pillars. And they got about halfway up. And they never finished it. They never finished it. Obviously, they did not count the cost. And every time I saw that, I said, boy, Jesus said something about counting the cost so you'd be able to finish. I remember when we moved into Raleigh subdivision where we're living, that it was back when they were repossessing houses and everything. This has been about eight years ago. Down at the very end on the left of the the street was a house. It was partially finished. And when I used to be able to walk fast, I'd go all the way down that hill. And and I'd always look at that house. And I went in it a number of times. But it was so sad. They didn't count the cost. They never finished it. And Jesus said, now if you're going to be my follower, what you better do in the very beginning is you better count the cost of what it means to be my disciple. And he goes on and says, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. And goes on in the next verse, What king who's going to war does not sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes to him against him with 20,000? You know, that makes me think about uh, the rocket man in North Korea. It just makes me think about him. So he's got a rocket and he shoots it, you know. And Can I make a statement? He hadn't counted the cost, y'all. He, he better hope he never even thinks about firing that rocket. At, at, because it'd be over in 10 minutes. 10 minutes. He, he hadn't counted the cost. Listen, he hadn't counted it. And that's just what the devil doesn't want him to do. But anyway, but he, he, he hadn't counted the cost. If you're going to go to war, if they got 200,000 soldiers and you got 50, you better count the cost. And, and if that's the way it is, you, you, listen to what Jesus said. You, you, while, you, while the other is still a great way off, you send a delegation and ask for the conditions of peace. Count the cost before you start building a house and not able to finish. Hey, before you go to war, count the cost. And if you're outnumbered, you need to make peace if it is all possible. And then he goes on and says, So likewise, 
got to count the cost. Whoever you, of you does not forsake all that he has. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. What about some of what we have? So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You say, Brother Fred, that is not possible. Oh, yes, it is. I'm going to show you how it's possible. But he, he lays out. He said, count the cost. Count the cost of what it needs to be my disciple. And, and by the way, when Jesus, uh, counting the cost is that you understand that you do not belong to yourself, that you belong to Jesus. And you completely surrender your life unreservedly in every area of your life to him. But I want to talk to you right now about this, you know, the example of counting the cost, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What is the price? What is the price? Oh, you're saved if, you're sa if you've repented and trusted Jesus. But now, it was free, but it cost you your life. You say, well, God didn't call me to be a preacher. Who said the only one that's supposed to give their life to Jesus totally is a preacher? That ain't in the Bible. It counts. Every Christian has to count the cost. I mean, every one of you. And so let's notice what it says here. It gives us an example of people who Jesus told to count the cost. In Luke 9, 57 through 62. I, I wish I could have been in this, the, this, there was just, just a, they were, you know, they didn't have trolleys and what in the world is a trolley? They, they, they didn't have buses. They, they didn't have, you know, cars. So Jesus, everywhere he went, he walked. So he was just walking down the road and there was a bunch, always a bunch of people around Jesus. Woo, always a crowd around him. And so Jesus says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, can you imagine this? They ran up to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if that was somebody who came to a local church and said, I want to join your church, we'd say, get a card and fill it out. We wouldn't ask him any questions. We do it in Luke 4.18, but I mean, oh boy, here's another disciple. Jesus said, oh boy, here's another disciple. Oh no. You know what he told him? You don't know what you're saying. You're saying you want to follow me? You better count the cost. Listen to what he said to him. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. I don't have any place to sleep. And you say you want to follow me? I'm going to tell you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Well, he was so eager. Lord, I'll follow you. He said, no, if you do, you've got to realize it's not going to be a life of, life of luxury and least resistance. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air, air have nests. But I have no place to lay my head. Well, then Jesus said they were just walking on down the road. And there was another this, uh, person. He said, follow me. The, the first one was an eager volunteer. He had, Jesus had counted the cost. And then so Jesus spoke to a person and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, now that seems to be a legitimate request. I mean, you know, 
let me first go bury my father. And then look what Jesus said to him. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. You say, my brother Fred, that's awful harsh. He needs to show respect. His father died. Oh, no, his father hadn't died. You see, what happened, the custom there was that as long as your father was alive, you had to take care of him. And in other words, if, if he was 60 years old and was going to live to be 100, I mean, you know, burying the dead would be 40 years. And I know, I know many people who have not married, so they, could, they remained unmarried so they could take care of their mother or their father. I've known many people like that. And it was a great sacrifice, and I know it pleased the Lord. But Jesus was saying to him, no, you, you, you can't go back and spend the rest of your time right now taking care of your father. He said, let the dead bury the dead, but you come and, and, and follow me. You come and follow me. All right? And then you go on, here comes, so that was somebody Jesus called. Then there comes another eager volunteer. See, all I'm trying to show, show you here is Jesus made it clear to everyone, you've got to count the cost. To the one who volunteered, count the cost. To the one who he called, count the cost. And here comes another one. Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. I want to go by and tell my mother and father and my brother and my sister and all them. I want to go by and tell them goodbye. Well, Jesus comes back with something that's just unbelievably strong. He said, uh, Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, you can't always be looking back what it would be like to be at home with my brothers and my sisters. You got to quit looking back. I'd be nice to live close to my parents. No, you can't do that. Once you decide to follow me, you put your hand to the plow, you don't look back. And so he was just on a casual walk down the road. He told all three people, two volunteers and one he called, you better count the cost before you say you want to be my follower. Well, which leads me to this. What is the cost? What is the cost of following Jesus? What does it cost you? Well, I want you to know the Bible is absolutely clear. And I want to tell you, listen, if the body of Christ, if the true church of the living God was made up of people who had counted the cost and were living it out in obedience, we would change the culture. We would penetrate the darkness. We would make them so easy they would repent or put us in jail. And that's basically what happened to the early disciples. They all died because of what they preached. But you know, they counted the cost. They counted the cost. And just like their Savior had been hung on a cross, Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Well, the disciple is not greater than his Lord. Well, what is it? I'm going to let Jesus tell you what the cost is, okay? Now, let me say this to you. You don't do this in your own power. When you get saved, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what God calls you to do 
He will enable you to do. When Jesus Christ lives in you, every command of God is a promise of God. Because Jesus knows we can't do it in our own power. He knows that. He said, without me, you can do nothing. So you've got to understand, this counting the cost involves the fact that you know that you've got to have, Jesus has got to be on the throne of your heart. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And then you count the cost. And by the way, the Lord spoke to me this morning. <laughs> he said, listen, you counted the cost, and I have at one time. He said, but you know what he told me? You have to count the cost every day. You have to count it every day. And no, he's exactly right. You have to count the cost every day. I wish it was a once and for all decision, but it's not. Every day I've got to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he makes it clear what it is. Here's the first thing. Jesus said, the cost of discipleship is that you love me supremely. You love me, Jesus, who is Lord. You love me supremely. All right, look at verse uh, uh, Mark, Matthew 10, 37. Now look at this. He who loves father... Our mother, and we're supposed to love our father and mother. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he said here, I want you to love your father and mother and your son and daughter. But he said, I want you to know your love for me takes precedent. It has to be greater than even the love for your mother or your father, or your son, or your daughter. Jesus calls from us to have supreme love, to love him more than anything or anybody. And he did not mince words when he said that. He said, uh, he's not worthy of me. So, the supreme love. There's another verse in Luke 14, 26. Listen to what he says. And that was that verse I said earlier. He that comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, and brother cannot be my disciples. I told you that was comparison. So here's the truth. To count the cost is this. You love Jesus more than anybody or anything. The Holy Spirit produces the love of God in you. You've known and believed the love God has for you. You know and believe God loves the love God has for you. And you respond by returning your love for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you love Jesus. And you love the Father more than anything or anyone. You know, he had so many great things to say that the church, to the church of Ephesus. Man, he, say, he talked about their beliefs and talked about their faith. But he, have, he said, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. I want to ask you something. Who do you love more than anybody else in this world? Let me ask you another question. What do you love more than anything else in this world? If the answer to that is anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you really can't be his disciple. You really can't. Oh, I'm not saying you can't be saved, but you can't be his disciple. Because that, if you love something more than him, it'll always be demanding your time. It'll always be demanding your attention. When you have a decision to be made, it'll always be that 
which you love the most. I guarantee you if all the Christians in Mobile, Alabama loved Jesus supremely, he was their first love more than anything or anybody, the whole climate of the city could be changed. It doesn't take a lot, but it takes people who love Jesus more than anything or anybody. And that's the cost of discipleship. It's supreme love without any question. And then you go on. He said, uh, by the way, you know what that is a, 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 a fulfillment of? The first commandment. You know the first commandment is? You shall, you shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, if you love some, something or someone more than you love God, that's your idol. And it violates what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. But you know, when you love Jesus supremely, it, 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 it colors every decision you make. Every decision you make. Every decision you make. You know, I, I certainly have made no, no sacrifice compared to what Jesus made. None whatsoever. But you know, I, I remember when I was pastoring Eastview Baptist Church. And myself and Mark and Jeff. Mark was about three or four and Jeff was about one. Man, I was five miles from Ann's mother and daddy's house. I was about eight miles from my mother and daddy's house. Had a beautiful, church, wonderful church. Oh, my God, they were just wonderful people. And the Lord told me to leave there and to move to Texas. I might as well be going to China, y'all. My goodness. With two, two kids. I, and I, I put him to the test. I said, Lord, I'll do it. I, I, I believe I need... And I, I, there was a reason why I needed to go to seminary. I'm going to tell you why. I said, I'll tell you what. I will go to seminary and finish. I had two years to finish. I did it in three years, praise God. But anyway, <laughs> I said, I, I, I'll, I, I'll do that if you'll open a door for me to have a church in Fort Worth. The chances of me being at Eastview Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, on a rural road, being called to a church in Fort Worth, Texas, slim to none. I felt very safe. So I went to the Baptist convention in, in Dallas, and a friend of mine named Eugene Lee said, Brother Fred, why don't you preach for me while you're out here? I said, I'll be glad to. Well, you know what he did? He invited this church who didn't have a pastor to come and hear me preach. I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I did. There's a church of about 100. I thought to myself, I'm glad they came. Well, I thought to myself, there's no way they, they ain't got enough people and enough money to move me from South Carolina to Texas. Make a long story short, that church was less than a mile from the seminary. There were 3,000 men out there looking for a church. And here was this one, one mile. And they called me to be their pastor. Do you think it was easy to leave my father and my mother? Do you think it was easy for Ann? No, it was not. It was not. But, you know, I had to count the cost. And I'm not saying that I'm, I've, I've been done a good job of doing that. I'm not in any way saying it was anything special about me about that. 
But I guarantee you, I was put to the test. And I went, and we, I went, and let me tell you why. You don't have to go to seminary to be a preacher. God can, you've got a teacher that lives in you, but you need to be equipped as best you can, and you choose the way God wants to equip you. It, it is, sometimes seminary messes people up. You understand? Just messes their heads up. But, I, but I, I'm telling you, there would have been doors that would have been closed to me if I'd never had a seminary degree. I know that. They wouldn't even consider you. When I was being considered by Cottage Hill Baptist Church, one of their requirements was that you had to have a seminary degree. They would have took my resume and thrown it in the trash can because they said, this man never paid the price of getting an education. So I'm telling you, in many ways, in many ways we're tested all the time to see whether or not we love Jesus supremely. We have to count the cost that we will do whatever God calls us to do. And that's just an extreme example. Well, here's the second thing. You've got to count the cost if you're going to be a disciple. Number one, you've got to love Jesus supremely. More than father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter, your own life. Okay? Here's the second one. And that is not only supreme love, but supreme sacrifice. Then he said, listen to this. If anyone desires to come after me, man, I'm I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. He said, you desire to come and follow me. And I pray God, you've got that desire. I pray God's given it to you. If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. (laughs) Take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, that reminds me of what the Lord said to me this morning. You have to count the cost every day. You have to count it. I, 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 I couldn't make a, a count the cost back here 40 years ago and say, that's, that's it for me. I've counted the cost. No, you know, I, I promise you, I, I'm going to have to count the cost today. Something will come up. I'll have to count the cost. Same thing with you. But if we love him supremely, then it's easy to make the decision. Whatever honors and pleases him. But did, and he said, if anyone uh, desires... To come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, daily and follow me. Now, you know, I've heard this before, and we laugh about it, but it ain't, it ain't got nothing to do with it. Somebody says, well, I'm, I've got a heavy cross to bear. Oh, I've got a heavy cross to bear. I've been married to that lady for 35 years, and I'm telling you, that's my burden. That is not your cross. You're ridiculous. Oh, but I've got a hard job, Brother Fred, and they don't like me over there. And that's not your cross. You know what your cross is? The only thing they did on the cross was die. If you saw a man walking out of Jerusalem with a cross on his shoulder, he was never going to come back. Oh, no, no, no. Everybody knew he's on the way to the place of death. And I guarantee you, when you take up your cross, it means you die to yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great man of God. He was the only one of the few men in the Lutheran church that stood against Hitler. I mean, he was, he was strong. Did you know the Lutheran church in, in, in Germany got so liberal that they signed the Mein Kampf that, uh, that uh, Hitler wrote when he was uh, in prison? By the way, he was totally and completely 100% demon-possessed. 
He sold his soul to the devil and told the devil if he would give him power that he would do whatever he told him to do. And by the way, that's why he killed seven million Jews. But you know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer counted the cost. And about a week before Germany surrendered, that he was a martyr. I can't remember if they hung him or shot him, but this is what he said. You ought to read his book. He said, I've read part of it. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus calls a woman, he bids her come and die. Does that mean, Brother Fred, I'll be a martyr? It means this, that you will die to yourself. You know, you allow the power of the cross to come against your self-life. I'm going to tell you one thing. One of the greatest things to overcome is selfishness. Selfishness, self-pity, self-righteousness, self-glory, the desire for self-praise, that'll cripple anybody. But when you've come to the point where you have died to yourself, you've asked God to bring the power of the cross against your self-life, and you have died to, to yourself, then you're ready to follow Jesus. Then you can follow Jesus. You know, uh, <laughs> I love Miss Bertha's illustration because she was big on about dying to self. Oh, my goodness. She, she, she had, you need to get wicked self on the cross and Jesus on the throne of your heart. Wicked self on the cross and Jesus on the throne of your heart. And she said, let me tell you about how you can tell you're dead. And she said, so here I am in the funeral home. And this man laying in that casket is dead. I can walk around that casket and I can praise him, tell him how wonderful he is, how good he is, how, 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 what a great man he is, and say all kind of things about him. It doesn't move him. <laughs> you know why he's dead. And then I could go up there, and she didn't use this word. She said, I could cuss him and I could slap him and I could spit in his face. And, I, and it wouldn't bother him. Because he was dead. You see, when you're dead, you're dead. And I never have forgot that. Because I'm not there. <laughs> Some of you are so spiritual you are, but I don't know about that. But anyway, <laughs> do you ever feel selfish and self-centered and self-pity and self-righteousness? And they nobody appreciates me. Self-glory. Buddy, you need to get self on the cross. You need to make a deliberate choice. Lord, I choose to lose my life that I might find life. I choose to die to myself that I might live. Oh, listen, Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to, you've got to have the supreme sacrifice. You've got to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. In Luke 14, 23, no, Luke 14, 27, he says, whoever does not bear his cross... And come after me cannot be my disciples. When it's all about you and it's all about self, you will not follow Jesus. You won't. You'll get upset. You'll get, no, you won't do it. You won't do it. Uh-uh. I've pastored too long. I've pastored churches too long. And, and, and boy, here's somebody that's just always upset about everything. This guy, this guy in the church was upset because we spent $4 and a half to buy a broom to, to sweep with. And the reason he, he was uh, 
so upset was because he didn't give $2 a year to the church. You know, I'm telling you, you got to realize that you, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow him. All right, and and um, let me say this. There's a verse that is very important. Listen to me carefully. Whoever seeks to save his life. Now, I want to live my life just the way I want to live it. I want to live it just the way I want to live here in this kind of house, this kind of car. I want to have this kind of job. I want to have this. And said, Lord, I'm going to plan my life out, and I'm going to live it just the way I want to live it. And that is not wrong in itself if it is God's will. But what you're saying is, Lord, I'm going to save my life. I'm going to save it. He said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As long as you're clutching on to your dreams, and, and, and dreams aren't bad, and clutching on to your plans, and plans aren't bad if they're in the will of God. But as long as you say, I'm going to clutch on to my life, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it, then don't, don't, don't think you're going to ever be a disciple of Jesus. He said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, in other words, here's your plan, here's my plan. You give up your plan for my plan. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Because it is the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so life in Christ is abundant life. That's what it is. But you have died to yourself. You've taken up your cross. And you've seen not seeking to save your life, you're willing to lose it. And so now you can be and you are his disciples. You know, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow, that's a great verse. For me to live is Christ. That means I've, I've died to myself. I've lost my life in him. And I'm telling you, for me to live is Christ and to die, and, and to die is gain. Well, I'm going to close with this one story and then this one quote. One of the saddest pictures in the Bible is that of uh, the rich young ruler. It was such a sad, sad picture. And the scriptures there is found in the book of, it's found in the book of uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. All right, as he was coming out on the road, so here Jesus is just on, he's walking on the road, just walking on the road. He wasn't in any building, wasn't in any house. He was just walking on the road. One came running, running, knelt before him, my heavens, woo, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Man, any, any preacher would be, Thrilled to see that and hear that. My goodness, he just come running and kneels down. Then what can, must I do to have eternal life? Well, let's read the rest of the story. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And then he goes on and says, Jesus said, you know the commandments. 
He's looking at that rich young ruler. You, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now listen to his response, which means he had no clue about what Jesus was saying. He answered and said, teacher, I've kept all of these since I was a youth. There's no way he had kept them all. The only one that kept him was Jesus. But he thought he was good enough. Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. But you know, Jesus knew there was one thing. He loved more than God and loved more than him. And there was one thing he was not willing to let go of. In his case, to be saved and to be a follower of Jesus. Then Jesus looking into him. Now, now, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I don't know if they were still kneeling, but Jesus looked at him and loved him. He says, one thing you lack, just one thing that stands between you and eternal life, between you and God, between you and being my disciple. One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Now, everybody who comes to Jesus and wants to be saved or wants to follow him, he said, all right, now, before you can be saved, you go sell everything you got, sell your house, sell your car, sell your clothes, and then be ready to pay for the divorce when your wife gets it. I mean, you know. <laughs> Jesus knew that it wasn't that that man had things. He knew that those things had that man. He knew that that, that was his security and that was his life. So Jesus always goes to the one thing, to the one thing that stands between you and being his disciple. And he'll put her finger on it and say, okay, you need to repent of that. You need to die to that. You need to let go of that. Or it might be the other way. You need to do this or you need to do this. He puts his finger on the one thing that keeps you from loving him supremely. Keeps you from the one thing that having that supreme sacrifice of dying to yourself and falling. And he puts his finger on that. And you say, okay, I'll do that, Lord. Or you'll do what the rich young ruler did. Look at what it said. Over in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 22. But he was sad at this word. Of all the things, he was so eager. He ran. He knelt at the feet of Jesus. Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus told him, and he, he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful. He was just absolutely one sad, grieved human being. For he had great possessions. It wasn't how much he had or what he had. It was that was more important to him than knowing God. That was more important to him than knowing Jesus. That was more than, that meant more to him than laying, laying down whatever he had to lay down to be his disciple. 
So, the, you know, so my question is, you want, you want to live an abundant life? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Okay, count the cost. Count the cost. Supreme love and supreme sacrifice. This story has always moved me. Nate Saint was a great, great man of God. He was a missionary to the Alka Indians. And all the other missionaries who had ever gone to that tribe ended up losing their lives. They were demonized. They were murderers. So Nate Saint, and I've forgotten who was with him, were on the way to, to the Alka Indians. And I, I, don't know, I don't remember how they killed him. Seems to me he was right fixing across a river or whatever. But anyway, he, they killed him. And whoever other missionaries were with him, they killed him. But you know what was in the, sheet, uh, the shirt pocket of Nate Saint? You say, Brother Fred, it was awful that he died. Oh, you don't understand. He had already died. Oh, yeah. He had already died to himself. He'd already died when he crossed the ocean and got, he'd already died when he went to the, was on the way to the Indians. Oh, he'd already died. You know what he said? He's no, no food to give. He's no, it, it is, you're no food to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. But you think about it. You're no food to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. That has always stirred my... Hey, by the way, his wife eventually went to the Alka Indians and eventually other missionaries went and the entire tribe was converted. Instead of being cannibals and murderers, they became followers of Jesus Christ. He, hey, listen, but I want you to remember this. You're no fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Praise the name of Jesus.